Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. All right. Uh, this morning, I just want to give you fair warning. There are going to be a lot of scriptures today. So if you have pen, paper, cardboard, uh, if you do smoke signals, I'm not sure what you do. If you type them in your phones, in your iPads, I would highly suggest um, that you take lots and lots of notes because this is going to be unlike many of the sermons that we've done where we're kind of in one passage today. We're, we're going to be kind of all over uh, the text, the scriptures today. Um, we've actually been on a series, it, and quite frankly, this morning is going to be an adventure through the scriptures. We've been on a series called Adventure, and uh, last week we, we learned a very, very important uh, lesson is that um, God-sized adventures often come in the simplest and smallest of ways, and those are in the forms of opportunity. And we discussed that, honestly, we must learn to live in a way to prepare ourselves for those God-given opportunities today and tomorrow. Because quite frankly, as you're preparing today for an opportunity, it may actually happen the moment you walk out your door. And so last week, we really wanted to talk about learning to discern the voice of the Lord. Discerning the voice of the Lord enables you to see the opportunities that are before you. And we went through several questions to, to kind of begin to learn how to discern the Lord's voice. I mean, we had a life group this week. We, we heard that somebody actually was took some time and they, they s- set themselves up to where they had reflection and pause and they were able to, to, to actually hear the voice of God in their life. But just because we see the opportunity, it doesn't necessarily mean that we will seize the opportunity. Back in 2010, I was sitting in the pew just like you on a Sunday morning. It was August, and I sensed in my spirit that the Lord called me to pastor and to preach. And many people are shocked to hear that this is not what I had planned for my life. And actually, this wasn't even on the list of things that I wanted to do in my life. Well, I heard that voice. And I came back next week, and guess what? I had that sense in my spirit, preach, be a pastor, do this. And so I didn't tell my wife until she said, I do. I'm not as dumb as I look, all right? I'm getting my grip on her before she runs. But see, I saw the opportunity. I didn't seize the opportunity. I actually ran from the opportunity. Again, this was the last thing I wanted to do in my entire life. It wasn't even on the list. So I ran. I fought. And it wasn't until six months later, 
when I was on a bed at a cottage at a youth retreat after speaking where I was just done. I knew I can't fight this anymore. I can't refuse this. And so I seized the opportunity, the God-given opportunity. I saw it, and I finally seized it. Folks, just because we see opportunities don't necessarily mean we will seize them. Because quite often, we are our own worst enemy. There are obstacles to those opportunities. There's a conversation that Peter had with Jesus. This comes after a moment where Peter actually declares something of great insight, a heavenly insight. In fact, he said when Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Because there were rumors going about about who Jesus was, whether he was Elijah or John the Baptist coming back to life or a great prophet or, or, or whatever. And he wanted to know, who do you say I am? And Peter declares, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That was a mountaintop moment for Peter. As a result of that, Jesus kind of opens the door a little bit. He lets the 12 in. And he says, okay, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be killed at the hands of the teachers the leaders, the religious leaders, and then I will be raised on the third day. Peter takes Jesus aside, has a private conversation, and in that moment, he rebukes Jesus. He says, never, Lord, that's not going to happen. That shall never happen. And in that moment, I think we learned kind of a lesson, you don't want to rebuke Jesus. Because Jesus turns his back on Peter, much like Peter will eventually turn his back on Jesus, right? He turns his back on Peter, and this private conversation now becomes a public rebuke. Because now Jesus is facing the rest of the disciples with Peter behind him. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, you are a stumbling block to me. In essence, Peter, you're an obstacle. You're an obstacle to the greatest adventure that human history will ever see and experience. That this will ripple through time and eternity. Peter, you're an obstacle. But notice what Jesus says, Matthew 16, 22 through 30, uh, 23. Notice what he says at the back end of this. He says, you do not have the, in mind the things of God, but the things of men. There it is. We're our own obstacle to the opportunities that are God-given because we often have the things of us in mind, you in mind, the things of humanity in mind, the things that are us, that are our nature, that are not divine. We are our own obstacle because we often, we will all too often either think too little of ourselves or too much of ourselves. Well, let, let's look at this. It's, this comes out in what we, we believe that we lack, too little, right? We often think too little of ourselves, what, what we lack. And if you ever want to identify what you 
what you believe about yourself and what you lack, you can usually identify those by your excuses. Well, watch, watch Moses for a second. This is Exodus chapter 3. God's calling Moses through the burning bush to redeem and deliver his own people in captivity from Egypt. And this conversation goes on for about a chapter and a half. And Moses continues to put those things forward that he believes that he lacks. In verse 11, he says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses believed he lacked competence and that he was adequate or inadequate. He believed he was totally inadequate for this job. Who am I to do this? Then he says, Moses answered in in chapter 4, verse 1, What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? At that point, Moses believed he lacked confidence. Again, you can identify what you believe you lack by the excuses that you make, right? He continues, Moses said to the Lord, I'm slow of speech and tongue. God, I can't talk. I'm not really good at this. Moses believed he lacked ability. And then, he just is done with the conversation. And he says, oh Lord, just, just send someone else, will you? Moses in this moment believed that, that he lacked, a, there was a definite lack of willingness on Moses' part. And there was a lack of belief in God that God could come through. Well, let's look at Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 15. When the Lord, an angel of the Lord came to Gideon and, and greeted him with, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. There's a moment that, that Gideon was called to, to to release captive his people from the Midianites, the oppressive people, and as well as a lot of the other ancient Near Eastern peoples. And this conversation ensues, and we find out what Gideon believes about himself and what he believes he lacks to do the job. He says, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? Sounds almost like Moses. Who am I? How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. He lacked self-confidence, and he actually lacked, he believed he lacked the physical strength to do the job. We continue. Let's move to the New Testament. John chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. This is a moment where Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and they're going through the forbidden area, Samaria. Jews don't go into Samaria. They avoid it at all costs because the Jewish people and the Samaritan people did not get along very well. But Jesus says, I'm going to go right through the heart of where no one else will go. And he stops. It's about high noon. He stops at a well, and this is what it reads. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired, he did get tired, folks, pretty much like you and me. We're tired. Jesus was tired as he was from from the journey, and he sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This is high noon. This is close to when it's hottest in the day. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, there it is, Samaritan woman. She's coming at a point where no one else is going to come out for water, Right? Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink of water? This conversation unravels. 
she finds out that he is the Messiah. But see, this woman believed that she lacked self-worth. We find out later in the conversation that she's not only not living with her husband, she's living with a man who's not her husband, but she has had five husbands, meaning that she has been passed around from man to man. And when the men got tired, they issued a certificate of divorce. I don't like you, go. I'm done with you, go. She's on man number six. And the rest of the women in the society don't deem her as respectable. And obviously, most of the men do not deem her as respectable. And she believes that she lacks this self-worth. And she lacks a social standing. But as a result of this conversation, it's beautiful what happens. She finds out who the, that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God. And she goes and he re, she reports this to the whole town. And the town now comes and finds out for themselves. She now has been used to redeem most of the town. And Jesus stays with them for days. But let's not miss the fact that she believed that she was someone who lacked self-worth and social standing. Mark chapter 6 and chapter John chapter 6. I put two of the stories together. This is the time of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had been with many, many thousands of people teaching them and, and healing them. And the story reads, by this time it was late in the day. Time was fleeting, right? So his disciples came to him. This is a very remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Time's running thin here, Jesus. So send the people away so they can go and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. But notice where their minds go. Eight months' wages would not, be enough to, uh, would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with some, uh, five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will all that go? See, Philip, who was the human calculator, and he looked around, and he started to calculate. He's an accountant. He goes, wait a second, Jesus. There's not enough in the treasury to even get anyone a bite to eat. And, 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 and Andrew says, Here, here's, here's just a little bit, but this isn't going to go anywhere. The disciples believed themselves to be in lack of time. Well, it's getting late. Let's just just move them on and lack of resource folks we often think too little of ourselves or too much of ourselves we often think of what we lack when the opportunity of God has been presented to you we often think of what we lack and those come out in the forms of our excuses those are the red flags that we need to pay attention to The sisters, Mary, Martha, they sent word to Jesus about their brother Lazarus. Hey, the one you love is sick. But Jesus, Jesus paused. He waited. And we find out when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And on his arrival to Bethany, where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were, 
they lived, Jesus found that Lazarus was already dead in the tomb for four days. Time. Disciples lacked the resource of, of, of money and material resources and believed they lacked the resource of time. And here we have this moment where when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet Jesus, met him, and this is what she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, you took your sweet time. We didn't have sweet time. Mary and Martha both said that exact same thing. If you would have been here, I believe that we lack time. Folks, I don't know where you are in terms of what you believe you lack. Think about of all the excuses that you've made to do the things that God has called you to do. Whether they are huge God-sized adventures or small God-sized adventures, what are the excuses that you drum up on the inside? What are they? I figured it'd probably be a wise thing to just pause. I can preach all day, but I think we need to pause and pray and let you have a conversation with the Lord. So if you're listening online, you're going to hear a dead silence. But we're challenging you to pray and ask the Lord, what do I believe I lack? Where I don't have enough of, that has become an obstacle for me from seizing the God-sized opportunities in front of me. So, folks, let's take a moment. We're going to have a moment of pause and prayer. I'm going to challenge that you ask this question and you listen. And if you hear something, I want you to write it down. Write it down. So would you bow your heads? God-sized opportunities in front of us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to remind you that in all these stories, from Moses to Gideon, to the disciples, to Samaritan woman, to here in Mary and Martha, in Lazarus's case, God understood very clearly what they believed that they lacked called them anyways right because what they believe they lack God already possessed God already had in mind he was able to use them and do dramatic amazing things Moses delivered the Israelites Gideon delivered the Israelites the Samaritan woman the whole village started to hear about Jesus Christ the disciples they fed the 5,000. 
Jesus took those five loaves of bread and two small fish, gave thanks, broke them, handed it to the disciples, said, go. And they went out and fed. And in this moment, when there was a lack of time, Jesus showed up on time and called Lazarus forth and rose him from the dead. What you believe you lack, God possesses already. So, let's look at what we think too much of ourselves of, that what we're full of. So, there are several examples. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, Saul. This is the moment after David took off the head of Goliath, and the people were rejoicing at David's victory. And in their song of David's victory, they put David up above Saul, King Saul. And David began a great relationship with King Saul's son, a deep friendship with John. And it says in 1 Samuel 18, 9, and from that time, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul was full of jealousy. And in fact, Saul and his jealousy and his disobedience to God, that happened a little earlier, it drove him to madness to the point where he started to hunt David for take his life. Jonah, the great old prophet, the running prophet, the regurgitated prophet, the scorched prophet. I love it. Such a good book. It said in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Here's your God-given opportunity, Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. As you open those pages and you read the story of Jonah, it becomes very apparent that Jonah believes himself and the people of Israel to be superior to all other people, particularly the pagan people of Assyria and Nineveh, those horrific, brutal people of Nineveh. And what did he want for those people? He didn't want grace or compassion that God would give if they would repent. No, he wanted vengeance. That's why in chapter 4, we find Jonah sitting out there watching and waiting for the city to go up in flames. Jonah was full of superiority and vengeance. Elijah, the prophet, coming off Mount Carmel, defeating 850 prophets of Asherah and Baal, finds out that Jezebel wants to take his life. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was full of fear. We will often think too little of ourselves or think too much of ourselves, won't we? And we become our own obstacle. Saul, Jonah, Elijah became their own obstacles. Peter, again, I feel like I'm picking on this guy. But honestly, I find out that I identify with Peter more than anybody else in the scriptures. Peter, in the moments of the Last Supper, Jesus' last meal around the table with his twelve before Judas gets up and skirts out the door and the wheels of betrayal continue. Jesus gets up from the table, takes on a towel and begins to wash the disciples' feet and he comes to Peter. And Peter says, no. 
You shall never wash my feet. Another rebuke. I don't think he was very quick at learning. Another rebuke. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered. Now this time he didn't turn his back. He said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Okay. Well then, Lord, head to toe. Everything. Wash it. See, Peter, there's, there's an issue of pride. And there's an issue of arrogance that he deals with. It's no wonder that in his own letters, he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Eventually he learned, right? But in this moment, he's, he's full of pride and he's full of arrogance. James and John, we can't forget these guys, the sons of Zebedee. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, they have a conversation, and actually in Mark, it doesn't tell us that their mommy went to him, but actually their mommy went to Jesus, and James and John were standing right by mommy. And what they were asking was, hey, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a line that sets it up. We want you to do whatever we ask, Jesus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your your right hand and the other sit at your left when you come into your glory. Essentially, we want a whole position of power. Obviously, Jesus has the, continues the conversation. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, sure, 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 we will. We'll be able to take that wrath. Well, they eventually do. James actually loses his head. John sees all the brothers scattered all throughout, witnesses his own brothers beheading knows that and gets exiled in the Isle of Patmos while everybody is either dead, crucified, buried for martyring for their faith. So yes, they drank the cup, but in this moment, James and John were full of self-interest. Why? Because they wanted the power. They wanted the position. And Thomas, we can't forget that other guy. These are the guys that Jesus called to follow. For Jesus to build into and to develop, Thomas, on the night of the resurrect or the, the, the night of Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus walked through walls and met with his disciples, Thomas wasn't there. It says now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "We have seen the Lord." And watch what Thomas says: "Unless I see, I will not." believe unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side I will not believe it Thomas is full of doubt I find it ironic that when we have the things of man in mind we don't often we're not often aware of the things that we're full of We're not often aware of the things that we're, we believe that we lack. But we still have those things in mind. In this moment, I'd like to ask that we pause and we pray. Because there might be things that, that are in you that you're full of. And many of you are going, yeah, Pastor, you're full of hot air. I know, I, I, I get it. But there might be some things that you're full of that you're not aware of that might be your own obstacle to the God-sized opportunities that he's giving you.
So let's ask him. So take a moment. And again, if you're listening online, you're going to hear some dead air. But we're challenging you to pray and ask the Lord, what do we think that we're full of? So would you mind bowing your heads and having that conversation? that you give us insight to our heart to what we're full of that is contrary to, to you that prevents us from seizing those God-given opportunities to go on those adventures with you you make us aware Obviously, we're not going to be able to address all these things. But there's a couple things that, that I'd like to address so that we can upend what, we're, what we believe that we lack or what we are full of. And so we're going to first start with what we think maybe we lack. And so we're going to address one area of interest that might actually move us into the other areas of interest. Um, margin. A lot of us don't have margin in our life. And particularly when we looked at the stories of what um, the disciples and Mary and Martha believed they lacked, they, they lacked time. And many of you, you and I, we often will say when we're get presented an opportunity, I, I really just don't have time. I just, I don't have time to do it. Well, we need margin in our life. Margin... Um, is according to Andy Stanley is amount available beyond what is necessary according to Craig Rochelle it's the difference between what you need and what you have so if if you have a hundred dollars in your pocket and it costs eighty dollars you have a twenty dollar margin you have twenty dollars extra if you takes a half hour to get there and you leave a half hour and it or it, excuse me if it takes 20 minutes to get there and you leave in a half hour you have a margin of 10 minutes you have a margin of time most of us don't have margin in our life whether it's in in money or in in time or in all these other areas relationships today we're just going to focus in on time okay because margin doesn't just happen margin is created intentionally in your life and so we need margin in our time and the first two things that actually go out the door with our time is time with God intimate time with God and time and rest rest and reflection remember actually God requires more of our time than our tithe tithe is 10 percent and time is about somewhere around 14 to 17 percent when you look and you do the math in the days if you look at your calendar and look at your life these two things 
above all things will go out the door so quickly and then when those things that come up that we believe that we lack we haven't addressed those we haven't dealt with those I was sitting in 2008 in a pew just like you and actually the pews were orange just like these it was a Saturday evening and I was really struggling with a lot of things in my own life my relationship with God my identity who I was what was I doing just struggling with a whole lot and the pastor read this scripture from Revelation chapter 2 verse 4 and 5 and this is from the letter at the front end of the book that Jesus wrote to the church of Ephesus that we have actually a letter from Paul to that church in our New Testament as well and Jesus actually gives them a lot of accolades, thumbs up. He says, you've been doing some of these good things. But then he says this, and this is what I heard. Yet I hold this one thing uh, against you. You have forsaken saken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. In essence... The, the pastor started to wax eloquent about the Greek behind the English words. And really the idea here is that God is now just among other priorities. He's just one of the other things in your life. Like going to the market. Like getting gas. Going to school. Doing work stuff. Gardening yelling at the kids he is one thing among many things rather than he should be the top priority aligning all the other things in your life you have no longer made God your top priority sitting in that pew just like you hit me like a brick and so I personally had to go on a very long journey, an extreme journey. Many of you will probably think, Ambrose, you're crazy. Okay, yeah, you probably already think that, so congratulations. This is going to be very affirming for you, right? But here's the thing. I had to take extreme measures because the small measures that I was taking weren't effective, I don't know what small measures you're taking in your life. You might want to ask whether or not it's effective. So I came to some decisions. For the next eight months, I wasn't going to date anybody. From January all the way through, I didn't date anyone. I didn't look to date anyone. I didn't take any offers to go out on a date. I didn't date anyone. About three months in, I took the TV out of my house put it in the garage unplugged TV unplugged for the next year and a half I did not watch TV when Amy came over for the first time that's the one thing she noticed she's like where's your TV it's in the garage why well let me tell you my journey creating margin in my life created margin in my life now if you talk to my Sunday Night Life group, they'll let you know that sometimes 
what happens in our life when we create margin and we don't hold to it other things fill the time right I don't know what extreme measure you need to take in terms of your time but I would suggest that you take it so that you have time intimate time with the Lord and you have time to rest he says this or excuse me you have time to choose for what you have time to time for And he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Come to me, all who are weary and are burdened, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It's missing from the text, I'm sorry. Then it says, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and I will find you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Folks, when you take time with God, when you make Him top priority in your life, all the things you lack, you will realize that God already has for you. And He's calling you despite that. Because he believes that he can use you where you are as who you are as how you were designed we often think too little of ourselves or too much of ourselves and the fact of, of too much of ourselves, well I honestly think that we believe that we have a fixed capacity that who we are is who we was, who we were, and who we will be. I don't know how many of you in this room have said it, but I have said it. I'll, I'll acknowledge it. They'll never change. That person will never change. They've been addicted for so long, they'll never change. They've had that attitude for 20 years. They'll never change. It's never going to get different. Have you said it? Have you believed it? The thing is, when we begin to say those things about others guess what we measure ourselves by those things that we say and we begin to believe we'll never change this is who I am but that's not the gospel that's not the scriptures when you come face to face with God's love guess what you get changed by God's love the lost become found the dead become alive right the old is gone the new has come what was once darkness is now light you were once not a people but now you're a people there is this whole concept of of transformation that your capacity is not limited it's actually to expand think with me for a second i was in high school i hated two-a-days I hated two-a-day practices. It was conditioning. The first two weeks of soccer was all running. I hated it because I had to run. I didn't like running. Unless it was from God, obviously, right? I didn't like running because, honestly, I couldn't do what was required of me. We eventually knew that we were going to have the Grand Tour, and the Grand Tour was 3.3 miles under 33 minutes. Now, that's not hard, for a teenager it's not hard but if you don't run it's hard right so for the first couple days it's 
its intensities and its sprints, and it's a mile. My lungs began to open up. And by the end of the two weeks, my lungs had moved and opened and expanded. Now I had the capacity, the endurance to last 3.3 miles and do it under 33 minutes. I think I, I came in under 27. I don't know. There's no record of that. Let's just believe it was true, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> exactly. We're designed to be plastic. Your, 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 your brain is plastic. Your heart is plastic. It has plasticity, flexibility. It's like this balloon. We think that this is all there is, that we're limited. This is it. But when you put the breath of God into your life, when you take time and have intimate time, and when you have reflective time of rest, when you have margin, you begin to realize that you're not fixed do not have a limited capacity. And you begin to expand because he puts himself in you. That your capacity to lead, your capacity to love, your capacity to grow, to be wise, to be generous and forgiving, compassionate and loving, they increase, right? The problem is, if we think too much of ourselves, there's no room. Well, I find it from John the Baptist, the guy who actually did the will of God, followed through with the will of God, and lost his head because he did the will of God. But he said something. John chapter 3, verse 33. He, Jesus, must become greater. I must become less. You prayed a prayer. Lord, what am I full of? I believe that God will reveal that to you if he hasn't already revealed that to you. What you're full of limits your capacity. It does. But when you begin to say, here's what I'm full of, God. And Jesus, I'm going to take notes from you. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to empty myself like you. Less of me and more of you. Because once we empty ourselves, once we surrender those things in our life, begins to put things in us that we never experienced before and puts things in us that we've experienced to a greater degree he increases our capacity so today I don't know where you are I want to give you some practical steps one you got to be intentional to create some margin so that you have time 
with God, that he is top priority, putting God first, and that you're resting, that you're working and living out of rest rather than exhaustion. And let me just tell you, it is a battle to do so. But we're designed to work and live out of rest, not exhaustion. And two, identifying those things that we might be full of that are in our blind side that we're not aware of. Once we're aware of it, we surrender. We say, less of me here. Less of this and more of you. I want more light in my life rather than darkness. I want more love in my life rather than hate and bitterness. I want more grace in my life rather than unforgiveness. I want to be more generous with my time and my my money and my possessions with my ears and my eyes Lord I just want more of you so would you where you are I'm not going to ask that you stand right now where you are bow your heads and let's pray this together Jesus of me more of you Lord empty me empty us and fill us with you Lord may we take notes from what you did and who you are. Because you emptied yourself to the point and were obedient to the point of death. Lord, may we not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. May we also look to the interests of others Lord, help us be intentional over this next couple weeks to create margin of time in our life so that you are the top priority. That you're not just among the things in our life, that you are the one in our life. And that our life becomes aligned with you. Our mindset aligned with you. Our perspective, our reasoning, our decision making, our social connections and relationships, how we handle conflict, how we manage our finances. And they all become aligned with you. And for those of us that are in this room that you have called God-sized opportunities. Lord, will you remind them that regardless of what we, we lack, regardless of what we think we're full of, you're still calling us. And those will get worked out. 
by you. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for those that are listening, that are part of this tribe. God, we ask that you do miraculous, mystical, amazing things through us. Because there is a world that needs you just as much as we need you. May we be those vessels that salt and light. I love you, Jesus. I thank you. It is in your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Would you please stand? And you're a good, you're a good group of people. You're awesome. Hey. Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength? And will you please love your neighbor as yourself this week? Have a warm- Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community, and to love people to Jesus.